Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When you begin to understand the nature and activity of Satan and demons, only then can you really begin to understand why the world is the way it is. One of the major reasons for the constant state of moral, social, and personal upheaval is because the world is under the influence of these evil spirits. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, in a message titled, Jesus, Men, and Demons. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right. The majority of our text that we're going to focus on are, are the verses in the fifth chapter. And as you would imagine, right from the start, uh, this is obviously quite a heavy topic. The story here that we read together is one, one of the, I think in many ways, one of the heaviest stories in all of Scripture. And, um, you know, the, the subject itself of Satan and the demonic and, you know, that, that, that's a subject that people are a little bit freaked out about. And, um, but it's a subject that we must address because we find it right here in the scripture. I want to quote from C.S. Lewis in the, the Screwtape Letters, his classic work on the subject of the devil. And in the introduction to the Screwtape Letters, Lewis said this, he said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And, and these are really kind of the two categories that you mostly find. You, and, and you find this not just out in the world, but you find this in the church as well. Uh, there are people who their tendency is to dismiss any serious discussion about the devil, want to just relegate it to kind of a mythology at the time, something that we, of course, in our enlightened age could never take seriously, or you've got people who they see demons and the devil in virtually everything that's going on around them. So as Lewis said, both of those positions, the demons themselves uh, hail both of those positions with delight. So what the Bible does for us always is it brings everything into balance and it gives us the right perspective. So according to scripture, yes, there is a devil and there are demons. But also according to scripture, they have limitations and of course they are themselves even subject to the authority of God. And, and we see that in the story that we read today. But, but just before we jump into the story, 
I want to just take a look for a moment at just just the subject of uh, what we have here in the text, the subject of demon possession. Now, there are about a dozen cases of demon possession found in the New Testament. So as you go through and you piece everything together from the Gospels and the book of Acts, you have about a dozen cases of what, what we see here Demon possession is really the right term. And in each one of them, the persons possessed are afflicted, tormented, and abused. So the demon's effect upon people is is always a negative effect. The demonic effects range from physical impairments like blindness, deafness, lameness, seizures, to self-harm and mutilation, to violence, insanity, and clairvoyance. So those are the different types of things that you see as you look at these, say, 12 cases that we're talking about. You see, in some cases, you see a number of these. In some cases, you see a couple of them. But these are the kinds of things that are being experienced uh, by those who are possessed, And in each case, the demons have taken control of certain aspects of the person's life, and, and they must be cast out by a power greater than themselves, and of course, that would be God's power. So a person who is in a state like we're reading about here has no ability themselves to be freed from this. They can't free themselves. They must be freed uh, from an outside source. So ultimately, of course, it's God's power, but sometimes it can be you know, one, one of God's servants or a number of God's servants that are the, the instrument through which that happens. Now, both Jesus and the apostles refer to Satan and demons in ways that describe their character as well as their activity. So... Jesus tells us things about the devil, for example, that give us insight into his character and and also simultaneously reveal his activity. In John's gospel, in the eighth chapter, the 44th verse, Jesus said this. He said, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So, wow, murder is is connected to the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and also a liar. And so all deceit, all lies, especially those that, you know, pertain to spiritual realities and so forth, those, those things all originate with the devil according to Jesus. Now, as I said, the apostles also made reference to the devil. Paul, in his epistle to the Corinthians, his second epistle, he referred to Satan as the God of this age. And and the New Testament refers to Satan as the one who's immediately ruling over the present age. So he's the God of this age. And Paul says that he has blinded the minds of those who do not believe the gospel. So, again, we see his work. He blinds people to the reality of the gospel. In writing to the Ephesians, Paul, speaking of the devil, he referred to him as the prince or the ruler of the power of the air. 
The power of the air is a reference to the unseen realm. So he's the ruler of the unseen realm, and he is the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. So Satan is at work in the world, and he works in the invisible realm, and he influences those who live in disobedience. They're part of the reason they're living in disobedience is because of the influence that he has over their lives. Paul, in writing to Timothy, he spoke of the devil taking people captive to do his will. And then Peter wrote of the devil. He referred to him as your adversary, the devil. And he said that he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So those are some of the passages that we have in the New Testament referring to him. And you see that both his character and his activity are being described. Satan, we commonly use that term, and Satan means the adversary. That's the meaning of the word. So he is the adversary. He's the one who is in opposition to God. Devil means slanderer. And this is what he does. He slanders God. He slanders human beings. He puts slander oftentimes into the hearts and in the mouths of people. He is the slanderer. The book of Revelation refers to him as the dragon. And a dragon is obviously a fearsome creature. So he's fearsome. But Revelation refers to him as the dragon. And then it says this, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So the book of Revelation wants to remind us that this person first appeared in history all the way back at the very dawn of time. Because we find, of course, it was a serpent that deceived Eve. And it's, a, it's the same person that's being spoken of all the way through. And he is quite frequently referred to as the evil one. So he is the evil one. Evil originated with him, emanates from him. And then the demons are unclean spirits, impure spirits, evil spirits, they're all similar, but the, the one distinction is that the one that we commonly call Satan or the devil is the one who rules over that world, those spiritual forces of darkness. Now, when you begin to understand the nature and activity of Satan and demons, only then can you really begin to understand why the world is the way it is. You see, the world is the way it is partially because of the influence of these evil spirits. Now, of course, they have the cooperation of human beings, but they are behind the scenes, manipulating, and in, in some senses, controlling so one of the major reasons for the constant state of moral, social, and personal upheaval is because the world is under the influence of these evil spirits. And they manipulate everything from world affairs right down to the personal affairs of everyday, ordinary people. So as we look at just the whole picture, the Bible is clear that there is a devil and there are demons and they are still 
very much alive and active on planet Earth. So the story that we read today, although this happened a long time ago, it is showing us the reality that still exists with us today. So, so the devil and demons are still very much alive and active on planet Earth, but even more important than that is the fact that Christ has come and he has dealt the death blow to these evil forces. And Paul puts it very profoundly when he writes to the Colossians, he says, Christ having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the the reference to the evil spirits, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So here in our story, we have a preview really of the absolute authority that Jesus will ultimately exercise over the spiritual forces of this present darkness when he comes to establish God's kingdom. But, but we get a little preview of it in his dealings with this demoniac here. So let's look together at the text itself and beginning right here in verse one of chapter five. So they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. So they remember they they left what would be the the west side of the Sea of Galilee and they went over now across to the eastern side to this region and it tells us at the end of the verses here it was the the region of the Decapolis. So the Decapolis is an area that there were 10 Greco-Roman cities that were built and they were like little kind of Greco-Roman colonies, but they were built in what was historically the land of Israel. And so Decapolis means 10 cities, but, but they were centers of, of Greek and Roman thought and life and worship, and they were massive centers of idolatry. They were like the epicenter of demonism in the region. And, and it's interesting because if you remember, there's a prophecy that was given by Isaiah that, of course, was referring to Jesus. And the prophecy was that the land, the area of uh, beyond the Galilee of the Gentiles, those who sat in darkness would see a great light. So there was, there was darkness in this region, spiritual darkness. And that's where we find this man in the region of the Gadarenes. And so as we look at him, I want you to notice a few things. Let me read it. And when he had come out of the boat, Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones I don't know that there's a more pathetic picture of a human being anywhere in scripture than right here I mean if you really just get this in your mind visually okay first of all the man is you know this guy is a complete outcast he dwells among the tombs. And undoubtedly, there were two reasons for that. One of the reasons was the demonic influence. The demons drove him there. But the other would have been that the community would have driven him out. 
And understandably, this was a frightening person and obviously a violent person. And so the idea was, let's get this person as far away from us as we can. Let's lock him up. And of course, they tried to lock him up, but they found that he also had this strange uh, superhuman power. So they bound him with chains, but the chains weren't able to hold him. He was an outcast because he was a menace to society. You know, this is the kind of person that you just said, okay, we got to get this guy out of our city. We got to get him out of our village. We got to get him as far away from ourselves and our children and everything as we can because this person's a, a threat to everybody. He's a threat to the peace. So he was a person who was completely cast away. But then notice he was incessantly tormented, night and day crying out, cutting himself. I mean, again, think of that picture. All alone there by himself, out among the tombs in the graveyard and and tormented and, you know, howling and wailing and screaming and crying and cutting himself. And this was his life. And, And as I said earlier, this is what the demons did to him. This was the work of the demons. They had brought him to this place. So as you, as you look at the situation, what really seems to be is that the, this man is, is utterly helpless and he is seemingly hopeless. I mean, what can you do for a person like this except get him away from everybody else and just do your best to restrain him? And, and what hope was there? Who was, gonna, who was even going to have any compassion on him? Who, was, who would even care for him, let alone try to help him? I mean, I'm sure, and understandably, the vast majority of people are like, Whew, man, thank you that we got rid of that guy because he was a frightening character. But then we have to look at the demons as well. And so notice what happens. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, here's a man, but he is so thoroughly overtaken by the demons that it's like his personality is now gone. And all of the, the conversation that we see happening here is really between Jesus and the demons, but they're controlling and animating the person. And so what happens? When he saw Jesus, so here's this man. Now, think about this. This man's never seen Jesus This is the first time that Jesus has ever visited that side of the sea. And Jesus comes out of the boat. And when this man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshiped him. That is bizarre. So this guy just comes out of the tombs. He sees him from a distance and he makes his way and he falls down and he begins to worship. Now the word worship here is a common word for worship. It's proskuneo, which is the, the Greek word that me, it literally means to turn and to kiss. And it's the word that is most often used to talk about our worship to God, but it doesn't only have to be understood in that way. It can also be understood to mean uh, simply to revere. And I think that's the the context here, that the man, he comes and he falls down. He's acknowledging the authority of Jesus. That's what he's doing here. So he ran and he worshiped him and he cried out with a loud voice and said, again, 
obviously the demons are speaking here. This man knows nothing. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Who knew that Jesus was son of the most high God at this point in his ministry? Nobody. Not even the apostles knew that. Remember, they had just asked the question because they had crossed the sea in the storm. Jesus calmed it. Their question was, who is this? Well, this guy knows who it is. You're Jesus. You're the son of the most high God. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So this isn't the first encounter with with the demonic that we find in Mark's gospel. Back in the first chapter, there's an encounter that Jesus has with a demonized person. We read it, but we didn't really go into any detail on it because I intentionally held off because I wanted to address it here. But they said, or, or that demon speaking through that person said the same thing that the demons are saying here. They are basically asking not to be tormented. And the idea is that they're really saying, please don't cast us into that permanent place of judgment yet. That's what they're pleading for. And so that's the cry. Now, Mark tells us, for for he said to them, so this is why this whole thing is happening, for he had said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. So think about the picture, though. Again, this man is at a distance away. He sees the the boat come up onto the shore. He sees Jesus get out. He begins to run, and then he falls down, and then he says all of these things. But then Mark tells us it's because Jesus had said already, before he even encountered the person, Jesus had already commanded the Spirit to leave him. So there's this cosmic battle that's already taking place before these two ever meet face to face. And so Jesus asked, what is your name? What is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this is where it gets really crazy. There's not one demon that's controlling this man. There are many. Now, legion, a legion was a military grouping of 6,000-plus soldiers. So at, at this time, under, under Caesar Augustus, which was not that far back, it could have changed to some degree here. But, but dur- during the reign of Augustus, 6,000 plus soldiers made up a legion. And now let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So Brian, a lot of people don't know this about you, that you actually love the Elisa Childers podcast. Yes. I do. And Elisa Childers on there, she deals with some of the issues of our time, especially those who are involved with kind of progressive Christianity or taking Christianity in a non-gospel direction. Yes. And her podcast is fantastic. And she has written a book. And the book is called Another Gospel. And yes, progressive Christianity is essentially a Christianity that wants to 
have the kingdom without the king. They want to leave the hard truths out of the biblical narrative and just sort of have a watered-down kind of a Christianity for today. But they're very persistent and wanting to push this on others as well. So Elisa had an experience in a church where she was subjected to this presentation of progressive Christianity, which caused her to really dig down deep and reestablish her own roots in the faith and then have a passion to talk about this issue. And so she ended up writing this great book called Another Gospel that I would highly recommend. It's going to give you like the up to the moment issues that are being talked about in churches around the country today. And so I highly recommend it. So that's Another Gospel by Elisa Childers with a forward by Lee Strobel. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. You can order the book Another Gospel by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Another Gospel by Elisa Childers to help you wrestle with the idea of progressive Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.